Welcome, folks, to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you are subscribed to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast: Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And, in fact, this is our last official episode of the season. We told you that we would be with you throughout the playoffs, leading up to the draft, and into the first week of free agency. I didn't lie, folks. Here we are. We're still doing the show, but we are going to you know, kind of take a couple of months just to recharge the battery through the summertime. But that said, there's still a lot to discuss. So I have a feeling, I have a feeling you might be hearing from us because not only other trades or signings that could go down, but of course we've got Global Jam Jonesy coming up uh, in Canada, a big venture with Canada Basketball and Sportsnet, and of course the World Cup coming up in the fall. Plus, plus... Call this either a, a, a hint or a tease or a full-on giveaway. We might be doing some best-of shows, so keep your eyes on your Smith & Jones feed. Again, it's so important, then, that you are subscribed to our podcast wherever you get your podcast because that will keep you up to date on the latest if we happen to pop up with best-of or just little specialty shows and drop-ins here and there throughout the summer. But officially... Our last show in Jonesy since our, well, now second to last show. Quite a bit went down for the Toronto Raptors with Fred Van Vliet, now gone, a member of the Houston Rockets. It seems like it came as a bit of a surprise to a lot of people, whether they be fans, broadcasters, media, those in the organization, or otherwise, if I'm reading the tea leaves right, and eh, nobody's officially said this yet, it kind of sounds like the Raptors... Even after 6 o'clock last week, 6 o'clock Eastern, when free agency opened, it sounds like maybe the Raptors were willing to go four years, probably around $30 million a year, maybe about $120 million. They thought that that would be enough to get it done over what we thought was a two-year offer from Houston. And then, boom, out of nowhere, the Rockets say, you know what, we'll give a third year, and suddenly Fred's getting one less year but a lot more money at over $43 million on average per year. He signed a contract richer than even Kyrie Irving, and now Fred Van Vliet gone to the Houston Rockets. And there's no denying that both on and off the court, it will have an impact on the Toronto Raptors. Uh, no question, Eric, no question. And... Um, you know, I was one of those people that everybody figured it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to leave Toronto because he'd opted out. And you just, you never say never. And it looked like um, the negotiation went in such a way that Houston was in the lead. Toronto took the lead back. And then Houston put the hammer down and, and Toronto had, you know, it's kind of like bidding on a house. Well, that was our best offer and we don't have any more. So I've been there, you know, and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so have I. And that's why I use the analogy, Eric. And, and, and here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. Um, Fred had probably the most important box checked when it comes to being an NBA player. Nobody can ever take that championship away from him. Late in a career, a guy is sometimes moving from team to team, taking minimum contracts, veteran contracts, uh, seeking opportunities to play to win a ring. Fred checked that box four years ago. And now he doesn't have to worry about, he's, he's got the heart. It's, it's kind of like in baseball. When you get the triple, the cycle becomes a lot easier. That's the hardest one to get. 
And and now that he's got the title, hey, he's looking about the money. And and so you can't you can't really blame him in that sense. Um you know, people say, well, what about loyalty? And what? Yeah, yeah, there's part of that. But as I always say in pro sports, loyalty runs thin. If you want loyalty, buy a dog. I mean, this is, it's about money. It's about the business. It's about the bottom line and the dollars. And once you have the title box checked, then, then the money can become a priority. So Fred gave Toronto great years. Uh, he had a, a very heartwarming statement to the city and the fans and the organization. But he's now a Houston Rocket, and I'm sure the fans will cheer him when he comes back to Scotiabank, and then once the game starts, he's just another guy in another uniform. Um, and, and it's up to, you know, Masai, Bobby, Dan Tolzman, all those people moving forward to rebuild, retool, reload, whatever it is with the Raptors and put them back in title contention because they're going to have to do it without Fred. L- let me ask you this. Is it this simple – or is this a um, a bad or, or, or a wrong or an a- inaccurate take? What I'm about to say here, and I'm not saying I necessarily buy this because I'm trying to I'm trying to weed through through this in my brain the last couple of days as well. There are a lot of people that are frustrated by the fact that the Raptors ultimately lost Fred VanVleet for nothing, and they're starting to make connections and links to think about the players that have left this team the last few years with no compensation. And I think there's an explanation for nearly every single one of them. Like, there's there's no explanation for Kawhi Leonard. He helped bring you a championship, as did Danny Green. Did you hope to re-sign them? At least one of them? Yes, you, you would hope that, that Kawhi Leonard might come back. But you obviously weren't going to be trading him at the deadline. You were in the midst of a championship uh, run, and ultimately you did win said title. The following year, you're not getting rid of a Serge Ibaka or a Marc Gasol. Those are guys that are key cogs in a team that had the second-best record in the NBA uh, and, and that looked to be heading towards a potential uh, return to a championship that ultimately was right there in the thick of things when COVID hit, right there in the thick of things when the bubble restarted, and then lost right in the thick of things right at the buzzer, essentially, in a Game 7 against Boston, that close to, at the very least, getting back to a conference finals. So I look at that, and I can understand other departures from key members of that championship team. When I look at Fred, the thought process, you can disagree with the thought process, but at the time, if we rewind three months ago, and Jonesy, correct me or check me on any of this if I'm wrong, three, four months ago, the Raptors believed that they had a legitimate shot at making it to the postseason. So they opted to be buyers instead of sellers, hence the reason they made the trade to go out and get Pirtle. Turned out to be a pretty good move for them in the sense that they ultimately retained Pirtle, and now he's a part of the future of this team. They didn't get anything in return for Fred in spite of the fact that they were either A, considering shopping him, or B, at the very least, had a lot of people interested in him. Well, now he goes in the offseason for nothing, and I know that stings with a lot of people, but can you say, well, you signed Jalen McDaniels, you signed Dennis Schroeder, those cost you nothing other than money. You didn't have to give up assets to get those players. Is it kind of, sort of, akin to making a trade at the deadline, Fred Van Vliet to the Lakers for Dennis Schroeder, or Fred Van Vliet to the 76ers for Jalen McDaniels? Like, am I wrong in kind of looking at that way, where you've sort of given up one thing, but you've plugged that hole with something else? And might not those have been the types of deals that would be out there, i.e., no disrespect to Fred, but teams that were looking to potentially acquire him 
we're not going to be giving up necessarily fair market value for a guy that's going to be a free agent that they might ultimately lose. So you were going to probably get pennies on the dollar as opposed to superstar big splash marquee trade. Am I wrong for any of that? Or, 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 or No, or I, I don't think so, Eric. No, I don't think so because, I mean, you look at it and if you trade him at the deadline on a deal that he could opt out of, what you're basically doing is renting him. And, you know, had, had you been able to make a deal with a contender, that would have been one thing. You might have got some, uh, maybe some more solid future assets in terms of draft picks or first rounders or whatever. But um, were they willing to give that up knowing that they might not be able to resign him? So, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're, you're looking at it in, in that, you know, in an incorrect light. I, I would say this, though. Um, I've always thought when a guy walks for, quote, nothing, unquote, you still do have that money to go and spend on other people. And similar to your take, they went and used that money and spent it on something else. And who knows where they are and what other moves are coming because of the way the money fits together. So, listen, things can change very quickly in the NBA. Like, you know, the, the Raptors came came from two, three years ago. They came from the lottery to the five seed. <laughs> and it can change that quickly. So, uh, you know, to the fan base, you know, for the people that said, well, you know, you should have done something at the deadline. You don't necessarily know what was out there. You don't necessarily know what other people were thinking. And it's obvious with the moves that Toronto has made very quickly in free agency, they did have a plan B. Well, one of the guys that uh, they, they brought in via free agency, I mentioned his name a couple of moments ago, Jalen McDaniels. I actually had a chance to go one-on-one uh, with the newest Raptor, and uh, let's bring you that conversation right now. With the newest Raptor, Jalen McDaniels. And uh, Jalen, first of all, welcome to Toronto. Um, how did this all come together for you in free agency in Philly, but ultimately landing with the Raptors? Uh, you know, the Raptors, um, you know, my agent, uh, you know, they have a – good relationship with them you know uh, a couple few years ago when I first got here uh well a few years ago I had my first workout here you know they gave me my first workout so for everything to come full circle and them to still believe in me from that day on uh, and wanted to, to, to develop me you know it just means a lot so you know uh, I thought I'd just fit here perfectly with the guys they have on their team and that I can bring a lot to their team um, just being versatile and the type of player I am I uh, just fit here so it only made sense to you know commit and be a Toronto, Toronto Raptor. It's been a bit of a whirlwind last year for you with the mm-hmm. midseason trade and yeah. thinking that you finally have a new home and then obviously now moving on here in the offseason. How much are you just looking forward to kind of planting some roots and actually being able to kind of be somewhere for a while yeah. and establish yourself? You know, it just feels good um, that some, that Masai and them just believe in me mm-hmm. and, you know, it just gives me more confidence to just go out there and just compete every night and just do my job. So, you know, uh, you know, I much appreciate them and I'm excited to be here. So, you spoke about the versatility that you bring. Mm-hmm. This is something that the Raptors were known for last year. Obviously, it sure. didn't ultimately result in, in, in success towards the end of the year and into the playoffs, but the sort of the, uh, the plan 6-9 with all the versatility yeah, yeah. you guys have, do you think you simply add to that or you can expand upon that? Definitely think I can expand upon it. Um, you know, me being 6-9 can handle the ball, shoot the ball, 
just stuff like that, um, coming off screens, being a facilitator. You know, I feel like that's all in my game, you know. So I've developed all that. So also on the defensive end, can guard one through four, switching, you know, it's not a problem for me. So I'm just confident, you know, being here because everybody, I fit in, fit right in. So I'm just confident and I'm excited. When you speak mm-hmm. about the history that you have with this team going mm-hmm. back to, to pre-draft and mm-hmm. whatnot, teams is I don't even know if it's fair to say in flux right now. It's kind of like in a transition, obviously, with Fred Van Vliet yeah, yeah, moving yeah, yeah, on, but yeah. yet there are still core pieces left. Mm-hmm. What's your view of where this team is and where they can ultimately go with you now a part of it? You know, I'm just looking forward to, like, building with the core guys, you know, and hopefully me uh, becoming one of those core guys one day. So, um, you know, I'm just all for it. Um, I feel like we can go far, you know. It's, NBA is a tough league, you know, but we just all got to click and uh, – compete and I feel like we'll be fine playoffs and just got to do our thing I'm sure I'm not the first to say mm-hmm. this or, or make this connection but San Diego guy yeah. San Diego State now nice. now we're number two I know he was only here for one year but yeah, Kawhi great. Leonard how much does he mean to you or is there any history with Kawhi and yeah. San Diego and the, the school and everything else but Kawhi is like Kawhi is San Diego State <laughs> like Kawhi is the man like he you can learn so much from him he don't talk a lot but like his worth his work ethic and everything like that like you just see it like you just know he's professional like you don't ever see him in like the blogs nothing he's Kawhi's just straightforward like work hard and like get get his stuff done so you know I respect that and, you know I learned a lot from him honestly so when you talk about learning from him who else have you learned from and, and give me something about Jalen McDaniels the man away from the floor like in terms of what people can expect from you as a person let alone as a player as a person um I'm a cool person real chill like cool calm collective a little goofy stuff like that you know i like to have fun but um yeah not too extra just trying to stay out the way um that's me but yeah <laughs> last one for you then when it comes to that personality do you yeah. think that maybe goes back to what i was talking about earlier where planting roots does yeah, that yeah. maybe help you come out of your shell more in a sense of yeah. having a home and finding that for comfort sure, zone? for sure like I really don't talk that much, but like I'm, ta- I can feel it coming out now. Like I'm feeling comfortable already. So, you know, like, uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. But yeah, I feel just just comfortable here, honestly. So I feel like myself, and I can be myself around everybody. So, well, welcome to Toronto, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for that. Having me. That again was the newest Toronto Raptor, Jalen McDaniels, and uh, nice hearing him talk a little bit about uh, Kawhi Leonard there, and of course San Diego kid, the San Diego State connection, and he will indeed wear number two for the Toronto Raptors. I didn't look it up, but I'm thinking uh, Lamont Murray. Did Lamont Murray? No, he wore 21. Did he wear two at one 21. point? 21. 20, I'm just saying, did he ever wear two? But he definitely wore 21. Vashawn Leonard, number two. Um, Jalen Harris, a couple of years ago, number two. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard. I'm trying to think of other number twos. Derek Martin, did he wear two at some point? I'm going to look this up while we're talking here. In fact, while you're answering this question, you'll say, I'm going to look up the number twos. Here's my question for you. I love the athleticism of McDaniels. I think... I think he can develop into more of a shooter as well. He's already got a little bit of a stroke, but I think he can become a bit more of a shooter. But you lose Fred. Schroeder comes in. Schroeder's not as good of a three-point shooter as Fred was. Um, You did draft Grady Dick, who is arguably the best or maybe second, third best shooter in the draft. Is this team in July on paper better than what they were at the end of last season in terms of shooting, or is there still much to be improved? Because that's one of the greatest issues this team had last season, Jonesy, and there are definitely some questioning right now. Have they done enough to improve, arguably, their greatest weakness? Well, I, I, 
Listen, I don't think they're any worse. And, and there are some, the problem is it's a wild card. You don't know uh, what a kid like, like Grady Dick uh, is going to do when it comes to shooting at this level. Like, I'm anxious to see how he performs a little bit in the summer league. And that being said, as, we, as I always joke, uh, LeBron, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, uh, Damian Lillard aren't playing summer league. But it is NBA-type um, you know, quality in terms of, uh, of the rosters. And it gives you a chance to see what he's going to be like. So he, he, I think he's a wild card. Um, Dennis Schroeder made a ton of big shots for the Lakers this year. Um, and then you don't know what his role is going to be. Is he going to be on the floor able to catch and shoot or get the ball? I mean, you look at some of the threes he made for the Lakers. There was a lot of ball movement, dribble penetration, kick out, swing, swing. And all of a sudden he's a standstill shooter and knocking down threes. If that's his role in Toronto, then yeah. I mean, he, he's, he may not necessarily come off screens off the dribble and pull up and shoot threes, but he can do that. So I, I think, Eric, I can't really say right now, there's part of me that says optimistically you want to look forward to that. You look at a kid like McDaniels, and here's the one thing we don't know about. The organic, the internal improvement uh, in terms of the shooting from different players and how they work on it in the summer. So I would have to say it's not any worse. I don't believe it's any worse right now. But at the same time, I can't definitively say, yes, it's better because I need to see what 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 comes out of a few wild cards and, and the organic improvement of some of the guys over the course of the summer. Well, and as it stands right now, and again, this is dangerous to do in the middle of July, but but I'll do it anyway, just because it's 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 fodder and conversation. If and I underscore if the Raptors were to think about Scotty Barnes as sort of a point forward, maybe Schroeder comes off the bench as a second unit guy. Maybe, maybe. If not, if Schroeder's the starter, then I don't know. Does that bump Malachi Flynn up the depth chart? Because right now you could have a starting five of Scotty Barnes with. OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Jakob Pertl, and Gary Trent. That would then have off your bench Dennis Schroeder with Jalen McDaniels, Precious Achua, Grady Dick, and... Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher. Christian now Coloco. Malachi is a depth guy as like an 11th guy. You know? You still have a Thaddeus Young, at least for now. Otto Porter's a guy whose name we haven't even mentioned at all. Um, there's a, there's another Coloco. shooter, yeah. right? Yeah. There's another shooter in Otto, Otto Porter Jr. Remember last year, they got him to address that, and he didn't get a chance to play much. Yeah. So, you know, going back to your question that you asked me, I, I don't think it's any worse, Eric. Uh, you know, and, and you know, Otto Porter Jr. becomes like a free agent acquisition if he's able to play all of a sudden, get healthy and play more than, you know, 10, 15 games. So um, I, I, I'm going to have to wait and see, but I don't think they're any worse, and they could potentially be a whole lot better. All right, a little trivia question before you go here, or before we go and step aside, because we do have our conversation with Alvin Williams coming up in mere moments on our final Smith & Jones of the season. 11 players have worn number two, in Raptor franchise history, Jalen McDaniels is now number 12. 
in terms of players that have worn jersey number two. We already mentioned Vashawn Leonard and, of course, Kawhi Leonard. I believe I said Derek Martin, so that's that's, yes. that's three that we've thrown out there. I'm not going to ask you to name eight more because it, like, we literally could have a lot of pregnant pauses here and a lot of dead air. But is there any that pop into your brain right now? Because we off also mentioned Jalen Harris. Head. That was the other one. Okay, off ready? Off the top of my in, head, no. no. In historical order, Oliver Miller, Vashawn oh. Leonard, Gennaro Pargo, Derek Martin, Sundiata Gaines, James Johnson, Landry Fields, P.J. Tucker, Nigel Hayes, Kawhi Leonard, Jalen Harris, Jalen McDaniels. Those are the wow. 12 players that have worn number two in franchise history. And by the way, just quick shout out. I mentioned Landry Fields. How about Landry Fields and Anthony Parker, both former Raptors, now GMs in the league, right, with Atlanta and Orlando, respectively, and you've got Jose Calderon working in the front office in an executive role with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and another former Raptor who's a former front office dude and a former coach and now a current broadcaster, Alvin Williams is coming up next on Smith and Jones. Welcome back to Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Thanks again to Jalen McDaniels for joining us to start off the show. Nice to chat with the newest member of the Toronto Raptors, but one of the uh, longest-serving Raptors from player to coach to management to now broadcaster. And, of course, he's a friend of ours, a friend of yours, because he's a friend of the show. We bring into the conversation... I don't know how many times we've had him this year, but he's always gracious with his time. Alvin Williams. Al, it's our final episode of the season uh, before we kind of take a break for a few weeks and, and, and start rolling again, looking ahead to next season, come training camp and whatnot. So we will do kind of a recap and, and maybe look back at some highlights and lowlights over the course of this past season and off season, the, the little bit of the off season we've seen so far. But we maybe have to start with the biggest news of the off season, and it's Basically a week old now, uh, but Fred Van Vliet and a three-year deal worth over $43 million, if we average it out over the three years, um, over $43 million per year with the Houston Rockets. There's a lot to unpack there. We could get into the numbers and the finances and whatever else, but at the end of the day, bottom line, he's gone from Toronto. The Raptors no longer have Fred Van Vliet on their team. They very quickly went out and signed Dennis Schroeder. Al, what does this team look like at least you know in the first week or two of July in your eyes moving forward without Freddie in terms of the point position, the direction of the team, and everything else? I mean, it's a big hit when you lose Fred and Vliet, right? For many reasons. Um, I think losing a Fred, you, you lose. He, to me, he was that stabilizing force. He was that mature voice. He was very steady with his approach. I'm not even talking about his game. Just You just knew what you were going to get from an individual. And when you walk into that locker room, when you walk into an arena, when you walk into the, on that bus, when you walk into that hotel, you knew who you were going to get. So you're you're losing a lot of that. So if you say if that's worth $43 million, then then so be it. But when you when you try to replace that, that, that's going to be tough to replace because that doesn't just come with one season. That comes over the time. That comes over years. But for the Raptors, I think it's a move where they can still move forward. You know, it's one of those situations where you you have capabilities, you have flexibility to do other things. 
And it's not going to just be a Fred Van Vliet situation that, that changes the landscape for the Raptors. It's going to be other moves and other opportunities that can make this Raptors team, you know, well, we can see what the Raptors team can ultimately become in, in the next few weeks or the next months or up until the beginning of the season. But it's a big loss for, for Fred Van Vliet for just the team and, and the country of Canada. Al, um, it makes a situation different because, you know, during the course of the season when one of your best players is injured, you know he's coming back. And the guys can step forward and play well uh, for a short period of time. But, I mean, the longer you go, the more you get exposed without your best guy. What, what has to happen? I, I, I agree with you. I think there are obviously more moves coming. Um, you know, this isn't, okay, well, we've lost Fred and – we're just going to kind of take it sitting down like that. I mean, they went out and got Dennis Schroeder, and I, I'm like you. I feel there are more moves coming. But in the interim, what what does it look for guys on the team knowing that, okay, Fred's gone, and it's going to be tough to replace him, but that also means some opportunity for me, whatever my position might be? There you go. I don't, I don't think – you know, of course you're going to – you're missing your – a guy depending on their relationships and you're depending on how certain individuals looked at Fred. But for the most part, if I'm, if I'm Malachi Flynn, if I'm Jeff Downton Jr., if I'm Scott, I'm looking at my opportunities now. I'm, I'm in the gym working my butt off. Like I'm, I'm working out. I'm looking at film. Um, at summer, I'm doing everything because I know now I got another opportunity when, when someone is playing, 35-plus minutes is gone, and then you do bring someone in, but that's an unknown as well. as, as you know, We know Dennis Schroeder is a good player and very solid and a veteran, but the young guys, this is an opportunity. As long as I can be here in this organization, it's an opportunity. So I'm not, I'm not really – I'm not boo-hooing. I'm not crying. I'm not doing any of those things. If we're, if we're friends, we can, we can chat on, you know, on the phone or we can go on vacation together, but this is my opportunity to play. So I think other players are excited about the opportunity. So I, let, let me take that a little further then with some of the names that you brought up here. And, and I apologize, very long-winded question coming here. As, it, as we sit here and, and have this conversation, no earth-shattering trade or, or ground you know, organization-altering trade has gone down here. So let's just assume that the players that I'm about to mention are still Raptors, and this is still a relevant question in, you know, 24 hours, 72 hours, let alone a week or two. You don't have Fred Van Vliet, so you're looking at Jeff Doughton and Dennis Schroeder and Malachi Flynn and maybe Scotty Barnes at the point and others that you just talked about. There's opportunity knocking at the point guard position specifically. But then I look around the rest of the team and I go, all right, hold on a second. You re-signed Jakob Pertl. You've still got OG Ananobi. You've still got Gary Trent. you still got Pascal Siakam. Obviously, you still got Scotty Barnes. Chris Boucher. You just gra- drafted Grady Dick. You've got Precious Achua. Like, I look at this and go, is this team not that bad? Like, are they still in a decent position going forward? Because there are a lot of veteran pieces sprinkled in with those young pieces. It's just there's obviously a little bit of uncertainty at the point. Like, I- I'm just trying to figure Where's this team at, and what is the direction come training camp? Because they're definitely not in rebuild mode. They're definitely not in completely retool mode. But they're not, to be fair, also championship mode. So kind of where are they at right now? Why not? 
Why not championship mode? Okay, why not? And, and and I ask you that because you look at the Miami Heat, right? No one thought they, you know, I think the landscape of today's NBA where you can put pieces around stars, if your stars are, and I'm not comparing anybody from the Raptors team to Jimmy Butler, but no one would think that the Miami Heat would go to the finals after being in the playing game. Today's NBA, you can put players undrafted or whatever. We didn't know who Gabe Vincent was. We didn't know who some of these players were before they got these opportunities. Undrafted players are finding themselves to play big roles with some big situations and being some very good players. So who's to say a Jeff Doughton Jr.? Who's to say a Malachi Flynn can't fit in or keep continue to develop? Who's to say a Pascal Siakam or OG or uh, Scotty Barnes can't get better where these role players can fit in and your team can thrive? Who was to say, you know, uh, uh, Fred Van Vliet being undrafted, being the player that he is, leaving, you know, the Raptors getting the contract, winning the championship, being an all-star. These are these are true, these are real opportunities for these players to fit in. And once again, we've always said it. If you do get the opportunity and you get and you get those chances, you can you can make a name for yourself and you can help a team. And I think the Raptors, they have good players, very good players. And Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes continue to develop as a young fella, and and Jakob Pertle and and Gary Trent Jr. These are pieces that why not? And I think if you look at the Miami Heat, you see it's a true reality. If you play together, you play hard, and you believe, you will give yourself an opportunity to win. Al, how do you regulate um, players' opportunities in that they they do see a chance? And, and some of the guys you mentioned, everybody knows there were times last year when guys like Boucher and Precious Achua – they were frustrated. They wanted more. They wanted to do more. OG Ananobi has talked about that. He talked about it last year at this time, wanting a bigger role. Like, how do you, I mean, you're, you're obviously going to expect more in the third year from a Scotty Barnes. How do you regulate that so a guy doesn't think, okay, I, he wants to help the team. And we know that like a Kobe Bryant-esque type attitude you have to have a little bit of selfishness in you. Not not crazy, but you have to say, okay, it's my time. But how does a new coach like Darko regulate some of that when a guy sees opportunity and is trying to seize it, but you don't want it to get out of control? Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be totally up to the coach, his approach. But I will, I will urge if young guys want to play and they want to win, they got to sacrifice. Everyone, everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to help the team. But the problem is everyone wants to do it their way. And until they find out how to do it the team's way, they won't have that success. You mentioned someone like Kobe Bryant who has that had, had that selfishness, had everything that we've heard about Kobe Bryant. But now you look later on and you see how his success it translated into hard work sacrifices, 4.30 in the morning, it's all these type of things that, however, good or bad or indifferent, you take it how it is. But everybody's not going to have that work ethic. Everybody's not going to have that approach. Everybody's not as good as Kobe. So with, with young players like a Precious Achua and Chris Boucher and these guys, 
continue to master your role. And those roles have to be defined. I think, and not bad-mouthing Nick Nurse or the coaching staff before, watching the games, it didn't seem like to me being a role player that those roles were defined. It wasn't defined in a way that could help the team. Everyone had their responsibilities and everything like that, but certain players looked like they felt that they could do more than what was required or what was asked. And I think every player knows they can do more, they feel they can do more, and they probably can do more. But it's always going to come down to what the team needs. If the team does not need you to shoot a three-point shot and the team needs you to roll to the basket, rebound, energy, defend, whatever, then that's what the team needs. And individually and from a career standpoint, financially, and just continue to enhance your career, those are the things that's going to help you. As soon as you try to go against the grain, that's not going to that's not that's going to go against you because you can always find someone else that can do those things. So I think ultimately it's going to come down to the coaching staff identifying those roles, making sure they identify those roles that's going to help the team, and then ultimately having the support from the front office and the management that know that let those players know this is what we require, this is what we want you to do. And I talked to Vince Carter a year ago, and he's talking about it's about mastering your role. You've got to master your role in order to continue to be, be effective and influential in this league. Al, what was or still is the Raptors' greatest need? You were just talking about some of those needs. What do you think it is in your eyes? I mean, you just you just don't know until until training camp ends and you see what's going on. Because the one thing that's underestimated is the improvement of your current players. Everyone wants to go out and make a trade. Everyone wants to go out and find that free agent. Everyone wants to bring something new to the table. But what do you have inside? What do you have internally? I think Gary Trent Jr., young player, has a lot to improve and has a lot to grow in, and he can do that this summer. Still, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes, to me, man, I, I, is a special player. And if you give up on somebody like that, or if you don't, you don't think that they can help your organization, then I think you're sadly mistaken. And I think other players, pressures are truer. And I feel all those guys can get better. Chris Boucher, those guys, they can get better. So what you have is a core of players that are young and still can get players get better and have something to prove. But yeah. Do you need shooting? Yeah, you, you always want more shooting. Do you, do you want more size? You want more people that can take fouls? You want those? But I think ultimately the Raptors, and I still believe it, although they didn't have the season they had last year, they had enough to make it to the playoffs to compete. You can't tell me they couldn't. I, once again, I see the Miami Heat. You can't tell me if I was very confident if the Raptors played Miami Heat, they could beat them in a play-in game or whatever the case may be. So it's not just about who you bring it in. It's about what you have and how they continue to improve. Now, what happens in summer workouts now when you're one of those guys that you talked about, a role player, and you know you're going to get more uh, or there's potential for more? What do your summer workouts look like? I, you know, they, they probably had this tone and all of a sudden now you know there's more opportunity, how much does it change it or how much is it, um, how much is a mental part of your workout change knowing that, hey, man, there, there might be more for me to eat when the table gets set? I, I, think, I think the workouts the workout are going to be intense. 
if you if you're if you're a player and you see if you see a Fred Van Vliet leave and you hear the potential of a trade of Pascal Siakam, like I just I just feel like and you guys know the the competitive spirit has to kick in. Like the workouts it has to kick in and it has to be a point where you say, I have an opportunity and us being older, older men, we know opportunities don't come that much, that that many times, that that often, that frequent. So you have to take advantage of these opportunities. So I, I feel like the workouts are going to be intense. They should be intense. And when it comes into this preseason, it has to be like no one's expecting anything from us. They're thinking that we're, you know, we're rebuilding or whatever the language, whatever the narrative is. But that's not the case. You, you, we know, we know Bobby, we know Masai. That that language is not is not the reality for them. The building, rebuilding, that's not it. It's just improving, tweaking, and making sure we go forward. So I think the biggest thing is the intensity and the competitive nature has to kick in. Now it starts with leadership. Is a Pascal Siakam going to lead that? Is I remember being here in Philadelphia, and every summer, guys. Jameer Nelson brought the Orlando Magic here in Philadelphia, and they all came. Even when Vince was a veteran and he was with Orlando for that short stint, he was here in Philadelphia. Dwight Howard, the leadership really led that. And guess what? Who would have thought Orlando was in the finals, you know, against the Lakers years after? So the leadership has to be – it has to be identified. It has to be embraced wherever it comes from. And I think along with that and the competitive nature – that's what you're going to see in these summertime workouts. So, Al, you kind of took the, uh, the, the, the question or at least the thought out of my brain there. Let me expand on that a little bit more. From a leadership standpoint, you've been there in a locker room. Do you need a vocal leader or can you just have a guy or multiple guys that lead by example? Because I would argue, I don't know that Freddie was always necessarily the most vocal guy all the time in the locker room, but – even Jakob Pertl uh, uh, at Thursday at the press conference talked that he might need to step into more of a role. Pascal Siakam in the past has said, I need to be more of a leader. OG Ananobi is not the most outspoken guy. Scotty Barnes still fairly young. Same with Gary Trent. Like, is there that vocal guy, or does that even matter? I mean, it depends on the makeup of your team, right? It depends on who you have. I think back to our team, we had a lot of veteran guys. We didn't necessarily need someone that, you know, galvanize us and bring us together and say, this is what we got to do. Like, guys knew. We we looked at example. We had a lot of guys. We had talent. We had a megastar in Vince Carter. We had role players. We had veteran guys. We had a lot of people that understood the game of basketball. We had veteran coaching staff. So we just had a lot. And sometimes you do need that person that, um, that will speak on behalf of the coach so the coach's voice doesn't get dull. But that voice in the locker room will get dull as well. So more importantly, it's about going out and showing practice off the court, on the court, and just coming together and believing in that coach. Believing whatever whatever that coach devised, however they devise a plan, go out and believe in it and execute it to the fullest. And I think when you, when you find teams doing that consistently, then that's going to be something that's going to help them be in games win games. And as those games go along, as the season go along, you're going to start figuring out how to win certain games. So it all depends on your makeup and your locker room. I still believe, once again, when you have an OG, a Pascal, a, a Gary Trent, and we named the name, 
these guys know. They know. We have guys that won championships. They have guys that lost. We have guys that they're building together. So it's not necessarily one voice. It's not necessarily multiple voices. But it's, it's something how is it going to come together from the coaching staff all the way down to the 15th man. So I think it, it depends on your locker room and the makeup. And with the team's makeup right now, and you hear Pascal say he needs to be more of a leader or things like that, I like to hear that more than be a top five or be the man of the team or be an individual, whatever individually comes about. I like the fact that how can I be a better leader because those other things come along with your career as well. You know, it's interesting, Al, you talk about leadership. There's new leadership, uh, an entire coaching staff, brand new, with the exception of uh, Jimmy Son, who is, you know, the, the lone holdover. So there's new leadership uh, from a coach standpoint. But a guy like Dennis Schroeder, and, and I'm going to ask you kind of this two-parter, Al, on new leadership. He comes in having played for a number of teams, been a key player, albeit as a role player on a number of teams in Atlanta, in Oklahoma City, with the Lakers. Like he's, this guy is an experienced vet around the league. So you've got new, a little bit of, quote, maybe new leadership there. But I'm thinking about the other part of it, too. You've been in a locker room. What's it like when a new leader comes in? Like what's it going to be like for Fred when he walks into the locker room in Houston as a guy who's seen as, quote, a leader, and you got all these young guys there, too. So uh, take me through being in a locker room, Al, when new leadership comes in or a new player comes in who could be perceived as a leader. Well, me, me not being a leader since I was in high school and my senior year in college, I, I, really, <laughs> I really don't know, but I can see, I'd say about with Fred, hold on, right? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm stopping you right there. We know you were one of these lead-by-example guys. I, I remember sitting on the bench beside Coach Stan Albeck saying, "Get take that guy off the floor because you'd be out there at 3 o'clock with the game at 7 and Stan would complain that Alvin's done before <laughs> the game starts because he's out here, you know, being a leader and he's working. So he said, man, I need to take his shoes and put him in the locker room. So I'm squashing <laughs> that notion as you being a leader. You, you may not have been a vocal leader, but uh, you were a leader by example. But you know yeah. what leadership looks like when you're in a locker room yeah. and it comes in. No, for sure, for sure. And and you know what it looks like. And if I'm a young player, I'm looking at a Fred VanVleet. I'm looking at someone. But at Fred, it's about him. It's going to be a challenge for him. He's going to be around a losing situation, coming off a losing situation, not very stable. And he's going to have to have patience. He's going to have to exercise patience. Even the days where he walk in that locker room and a Jalen Green or one of these guys are making him ultimately like like frustrated, like supremely frustrated. He has to figure out how he can still be an effective leader to lead this team. Because you're not getting paid what you're getting paid just to go out there and play. They they believe in you. So it's, it's a lot's going to come with that. So when you look at someone like a Fred that comes in the, in the locker room, it's, it's going to be a lot. And it's going to be something that he's going to need help. He's going to need help from the coaching staff. He's going to have to communicate with the coaching staff and just see ultimately where that can go. But it, it's, going to be, it's going to be a challenge for him as well. And he's going to have to learn how to be a different type of leader and an improved leader. And walking into a locker room like the Raptors, where you have veteran guys and you take a Dennis Schroeder. I'm not, no, I don't know if he is a leader, 
but he's been in a lot of different situations. He's played with a lot of great players. He's been in high-level games. So he can bring that understanding, but I don't know how he articulates. I don't know how he presents himself every day on the court, off the court, because you have some players there that are considered you know, leaders and that franchise and the core, and you have a young guy in Scotty Barnes that the future. So there's a, there's a challenging element there as well. So I think it's all about being a professional and figuring out how you can move forward. And ultimately, once again, and this is the this is the confusing part sometimes when the business gets mixed up into winning. Like sometimes it's the business. If you want to win, if you want to win basketball games, W and Ls, and win championships, you got to come together in that locker room and put differences aside and interests aside and all your agendas aside to make sure you win. And it's going to be a challenge for for both type of situations for Fred and for Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder Just got to say a quick. Well, listen, it, it, again, Al, it's like you're in my brain, man, because I was just about to make a joke about the fact that you said Dennis Schroeder and articulates, which is giving me nightmares about having our guy Herbie articulate Dennis Schroeder for the next, like, two years or whatever, and, and the way that, that Herbie loves to go crazy with those names. He's going to go bonkers with that thing. So I've been saying Schroeder instead of Schroeder, but, but again, don't, don't ask Herbie how to say it. Um, on that note, though, as it relates to Fred and, and, and Dennis and the point and everything else, Al, our colleague, our, our man Michael Grange, an article this week, a week that he had out uh, mentioned, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically uh, there was some chatter about whether the younger players always saw eye-to-eye with Fred and if Fred saw eye-to-eye with the younger players. Listen, Jonesy and I have been you know, camped at home uh, for the last couple of years. Hopefully that changes, but you've been a little bit closer to the situation, perhaps. I don't know if you ever got wind of that, but immediately, without knowing the whole situation in Houston, I can't sit here and claim to know all these players uh, you know, on a personal level. There's a lot of young dudes in Houston, and he's got $43-plus million a year and 43 million reasons to feel okay about it. But if there ever was any ruffling of feathers or not seeing an eye-to-eye with young players, that's going to be something that Freddie will have to deal with in a big-time hurry going to Houston because there's even more young dudes and I got to assume the Rockets made that move not just for Fred on the floor but off it in the locker room for these young guys as well and if he was having an issue perhaps with some of the dudes in Toronto oh man careful what you wish for potentially in Houston yeah no I I agree with you and that's what I was you know I I said it maybe I was alluding to it but I feel like it's a challenge it's going to be a challenge for Fred because it's not as easy, and I will say, from my experience, uh, working out kids in Philly and just seeing the landscape of Philly, being a coach, being being a head coach at a high school team, is not the young, the young generation and the young players. They don't receive instruction. They don't see receive leadership the way that we did, and I think it's that point of. You know, you, you, you're finding a leadership and you're finding authority. You're finding those things where a respect level was there. And it's not just about what you did. Like, I could walk down the street and I don't care what the person did down the street. If they were older than me and, you know, they were around, I'm, I'm, I have to respect them, right? And Because I had the understanding of, you know, a pecking order. And those are some things that young people, the younger generation, in my in my eyes, they don't necessarily gravitate to it easily. 
it's, it's one of those things you got to show and prove, and it has to happen day after day. And they have so many people in their ears, whether it's the workout coach, whether it's the agent, whether it's their parents, whether it's the high school coach, the AAU coach. There's a there's a lot of variables there that that will that will will get in the way or impede Fred of being a leader. And that's why I said Fred has to be patient because to your point, I don't believe the Houston Rockets brought Fred there to just to score buckets and, and assist and rebound and get steals. It's something else there that those younger players need, which Fred is more than capable of doing, but he has to be patient. And from the note of the Raptors, that's, that's, that's news to me as well. But I can see it's a reality. I can see it being the truth because the younger players sometimes, they don't want to hear it. It's just like a kid and their parents. You don't want to always hear it. You need a different voice. And da, 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 da. So you have to find different outlets. You have to find different you know, elements of different people to give, to give instruction or direction. And that could be a challenge. And it will be a challenge for Fred. Al, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the huge challenge as we talk about it here. Uh, there's another component to this, and, and these people see the challenge as, as paying investors, and that's your fan base. And I'm thinking about, yep. you know, with Fred being gone, Houston's had a real disappointment the last years. I mean, they've signed this guy to a max contract. They're probably looking for, you know, they got a new coach, and, and Toronto in very similar situation, new coach, new leadership. Um, you know, f- some of the fans were probably disappointed. What, you know, what kind of patience does the fan base have to have with things, well, turning in a new direction? Uh, you know, uh, did the Raptors spoil people two years ago when Scotty is a rookie and them coming back from Tampa suddenly put them in the five hole, uh, you know, in, in, in the playoffs? Is that, was that too much too soon? And and what do you say like what do you say to the fan base because there's a lot of newness in both spots in Houston and in Toronto. Well, I think I think for Houston they they're getting better. You know, if you add a Fred, you you're going to get better. If you have the younger players that are very talented, they're going to they're going to get better as well. And then you add a Dylan Brooks, who's another he's a person to me that could be a leader. You know, defensively his improve you talk about leading by example. I'm sure he's going to be a hard worker. He's that guy. So I see it. If I'm, if I'm the Houston fan base, I see a direction. I see you're bringing in tough news guys. I know you're bringing in guys that's going to support the young guys. You're going to bring in, although they're smaller guys and, you know, they're, they're not centers and power forwards like we have with Oakley and, you know, and, and Antonio Davis and, and those guys. But you're bringing in tough news guys. You're bringing in professionals. You're bringing in people that's going to compete night in and night out, and they don't care who they are playing against. I don't care if it's LeBron. I don't care if it's Steph. We're going to compete. So I, I, if I'm a Houston fan base, I'm excited, and I'm, I'm ignore the paychecks. I'm and it's hard for people to do, of course, but I'm ignore that. But I'm gonna see the performance, and I'm gonna see the approach every day. If you're the Raptors, once again, you want to continue to see. And to me, this this year, it, it, it's Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes is the guy, if I'm a fan, I'm watching that. I'm watching him because he's an uber-talented guy. He's somebody going in his third year, and he's somebody that I think is the that can be the future. It's going to be up to him. He has everything that it takes 
from a from a skill perspective or or a talent perspective to be that guy that you want to build around and you want to move forward with. And it's going to be on him and how he approaches it. And watch once again, watching Scotty last year, I thought emotionally he was too involved. I thought he needed to control his emotions more, which in turn will control his, make his game more consistent. And once he did that later at the end of the season, his game became more became more consistent and it became much better. And I think it's going to be on Scotty Barnes to, to pretty much show. And if I'm a fan, I'm looking at that to, to, to increase my positivity or my optimism. Al, I think we've kept you long enough, man. We could probably go on for another half hour, but uh, we always appreciate the time and have appreciated your insight throughout the season. We'll leave you alone for a couple of months, and we'll fire it back up again come fall and get ready for the uh, for the next campaign. Should be a good one for Tio. I'll be I'll be there. Sure, I'll be there on Sunday for Global Jam. So maybe we can all catch up. All with right, Al. Sounds good, man. Oh, well, well, not you, Jonesy. You're, you're in the Bahamas. You're you're living a life. But no, e, no, we no. got to catch no, up. No, no, I'm. I'm I'm back. I will be back. Uh, Global Jam starting. I'll be there as a as a member of the board for Canada Basketball. It's oh, my duty. Okay. I will oh. be there. We, okay. Uh, and dinner's on, on E. Dinner's on E, right? On <laughs> E. <laughs> Hold on. I got to get those. I got to stretch out those alligator arms. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you know, hey, 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 Jonesy, you know what E means? That means empty. Yeah, it's going easy. If it's going easy, we might can't get anything. <laughs> oh. We'll figure All right, it out. Al, we'll appreciate that, man. Run out. All right, guys. Thanks for All right. That was our colleague from Sportsnet, Alvin Williams. And speaking of Alvin and Sportsnet and being our colleague, he mentioned it right towards the end. But, Jonesy, we uh, have Global Jam coming to town, not just Canada, but, of course, specifically Toronto next week. Uh, lots of... Lots going on as far as Canadian basketball is concerned with the second running of Global Jam. And, of course, a lot of eyes focused on the World Cup later on this summer as well with the camp taking part in the GTA as the team assembles and gets themselves ready for what we hope is a a, a run towards a medal, maybe even a gold at the World Cup. But also uh, the, the, the underlying factor to all this is hopefully qualifying for the Olympic Games as well. Yeah, it's a big summer for Canadian basketball. Um, you know, as we record this, uh, the women's squad is trying to, um, you know, do its part to get to the Olympics with the America Cup going on. Uh, you know, they finished the group stage undefeated, as I said, as we record this. And then you're right. I mean, if in the World Cup, if, if Canada is able to hit the podium and be one of the top two teams in the region, you have to... I guess, assume or, 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 you know, extrapolate that the USA will be number one. But if Canada is ahead of everybody else uh, in the Americas, you know, South and Central America that has qualified, that's an automatic bid to the, to the Paris Olympics. As for Global Jam, uh, it's great because, you know, your national team, is fed by all the teams underneath it. This is an under-23 showcase. Um, there's lots of other teams going right now, too. An under-19 team is going. There's, there's so many um, teams. And, and the great thing is, it's something I've always talked about, Eric, programming and wiring the kids to want to play for Canada. And I think that's being accomplished right now with all the U16, U19, U23, all of these 
different teams on both the men's and women's side playing in all of these tournaments and global events all over the world that they aspire to be part of the senior team. And, you know, this is the summer where it's going to happen, Eric. We've talked about it. Um, you might have to cut NBA players from the national team. It, it, Canada might get to that point. But as for Global Jam, I, you know, I, I urge people in the area, in, you know, if you're in the southern Ontario, the GTA, uh, heck, even if you, you know, you, you, you travel in from, you know, cottage country or you can drive it in from, uh, you know, Kingston or somewhere, it, it's going to be a terrific tournament with, uh, you know, Puerto Rico and Germany. And then on both the men's and women's side, uh, African select teams, the USA on the women's side, it'll be the University of Louisville. On the men's side, it'll be the University of Kentucky. Uh, you know that Cal and Kentucky always send guys to the NBA. Um, you know, Louisville was one of the big programs in, in the women's tournament this year. Uh, and then you, you have our Canadian squad to watch. So um, get out and see it. It's great basketball. If you can't, you can watch it on Sportsnet. But E, you and I know there's nothing like being in the arena and smelling the popcorn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, folks, Global Jam. Make sure you check out all the details at sportsnet.ca or basketball.ca. And, of course, later on this summer, uh, Canada's quest to the World Cup as well. Tons to talk about over the course of the summer, so we will do some check-ins from time to time. And as I told you earlier, we might have some best-of episodes to bring your way as well. But for now, this is officially going to end the 2022-2023 Smith & Jones season. It's our final episode of the year, officially speaking. So big shout-out to all of you for tuning in to the show, to the podcast throughout the year, whether it be on the radio airwaves or exclusively on the pod. Make sure you are subscribed to Smith & Jones. And a big shout-out as well to our hardworking producer, Austin Mackey, who's done a fabulous job for us all season. Of course, Mark Boffo helping out as well. But big shout-out to Austin for all the work that he put in this season, Jonesy. And... We are never far. You can always follow us both on social media. We might have to hop on threads now. That's the latest thing. But, of course, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us, interact with us, and keep in touch with us as we look ahead to the next Raptor season as well. Folks, have a safe, happy, and healthy summer. All the best. <laughs>